Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today we're discussing the 1984 sci-fi black comedy Repo Man. This movie, here's what's weird, all right? The soundtrack for this movie defined my senior year of high school in 1985, but I never saw the movie until I watched it for this episode. That's messed up because, I don't know, I've watched it since I was a little kid. Like, this is one of the first movies that kind of, like, defined my taste in movies. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how I didn't get to see it. It just wasn't on my radar. I knew it existed. I knew it was uh, a cult classic film. I just never got around to watching it until now. Yeah, I love the soundtrack. Yeah, I got I got that on CD. I got the movie on uh, DVD. I had the soundtrack on cassette, a dubbed copy of a cassette when I was in my, like I said, my senior year of high school in 1985. And I played it until it broke. And then I taped it back together and kept playing it. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Movie's 83 minutes long. If you want to watch it, it's not available streaming free anywhere. However, uh, Amazon Prime has it to rent or to buy for $3.99. And it's worth $3.99. It's definitely worth $3.99. Unlike any other movie we've discussed, this one's worth the $3.99. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a deal. Yeah. 83 minutes long, like I said, made on a budget of $1.5 million. The movie grossed $3.7 million at the box office. That doesn't include rentals. And features some of the very best of 80s hardcore punk rock, including Iggy Pop, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, and Suicidal Tendencies. And uh, what is it? The Banana Slugs? Yes. That's like my favorite band on this. Uh, and plug, uh, what is it? Real the Plugs. Or, the Plugs, yeah, the Plugs. They're badass. Yes. Movie was written and directed by Alex Cox. This is his feature film debut, known for other punk rock themed films, including Sid and Nancy, which I absolutely loved. Great movie. Uh, Straight to Hell with Joe Strummer and Courtney Love. That's a great movie. Hard to find. Uh, more recently, he adapted the Harry Harrison novel, Bill the Galactic Hero, which I also love. I haven't uh, seen that. So... Harry Harrison wrote this book back in 1965, and it is a sci-fi comedy about a guy who ends up in the army and just through sheer luck learns how to work the bureaucracy in his favor. And it's pretty bizarre. He ends up with a chicken foot and his drill is sergeant's fangs. Uh, It's weird. I gotta see that now. It's a show? Uh, It's a movie that he made. Uh, based on a book. Now, I don't know how well the how well the movie comes across, but I love the books. That's awesome. I uh, I remember he did the screenplay adaptation for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yes, he did. Yep. And man, like he really went to work on that. I know, and that has a lot to do with uh, Terry Gilliam's like visual storytelling too. Right. And that involved with that, but yeah, like being able to make that book into a movie, like yeah. Went all out. (laughs) 
This movie did spawn two sequels, a graphic novel called Waldo's Hawaiian Vacation in 2008, and the spiritual sequel to this movie, Repo Chick in 2009. Yeah, don't watch that. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like one of those movies that everybody thought it would be a great idea to make until they made it. Yeah, I wish they would have made that Waldo's thing, because that seems like it'd be better. Like I read, I haven't read the comic, but I read a, you know, about the, the synopsis of the story. Yeah, and they wanted to make that in the nineties, and that would have been great. But by that time, like Emilio Estevez was like yeah, like a household name, and mostly for the Mighty Ducks franchise, you know. Right. So it have been it have been like out of left field for him to do like some weird movie like this again. Yeah, this is a, an incredibly experimental movie, which is why this next bit surprises me. Executive producer Mike Nesmith, who is best known for being a member of the Monkees and considering himself a very serious musician. Uh, I love Mike Nesmith. Uh, he uh, he produced like a, a couple of these like weird movies. Plus, he was in that uh, that weird monkey movie, The Head, right? Which that things of psychedelic, you know, like, you know, freak out movie. Yeah. Uh, he bought into this movie whole hog, though. I mean, his name is all over this thing, very prominently in big letters all over this movie. Oh, yeah. He actually arranged a negative pickup deal with Universal, uh, which guaranteed the funding for the movie. That's where that million and a half dollars came from, from Universal. And then, of course, he split profits at the box office, uh, 50-50 with Universal. So once they make back their one and a half millions, he made another $110,000 off of that, on top of that. Hell yeah. That's a shrewd businessman. Yeah. That guy, his uh, his mom invented liquid paper. I think that's, I actually think his mom is more famous than he is for that very reason. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Mike Nesmith died just uh, just a few weeks ago. Yeah, it was all over news and stuff. I was like, oh man, that's like my favorite monkey. Yeah, the we're hat. recording this on January 8th, and I think he died right around Christmas, didn't he? Yeah. Movie stars Emilio Estevez as Otto, known for being a member of the Brat Pack, appeared in The Outsiders, St. Elmo's Fire, Breakfast Club, Maximum Overdrive, Young Guns, Free Jack, and as you mentioned earlier, the Mighty Ducks franchise. I love Free Jack. That's a weird movie. That is a weird movie, and I'm glad that it's Mick Jagger's only feature film credit. He was almost in this. Why? Uh, well, okay, they were going to get... All right, so originally they wanted a black guy movie, yeah. and other punk, they were going to be the main characters. Okay. And the studio was like, well, none of those guys are stars. We're not going to do it. So they wrote smaller parts for them, and then they were going to get Dennis Hopper to be Bud. I can see that. That's actually not a bad choice. That would have been sweet. Then he's like, nah, I'm not going to do it. And so then they're going to get Mick Jagger for some reason to be Bud. That would have been awful. That would have been way awful, yeah. I love Mick Jagger, but that would have been awful. Yeah. So he's also got uh, a bunch of TV crime drama directing credits as well, including episodes of the CBS series Numbers, CSI New York, and Cold Case got some writing credits he wrote men at work where he played a trash man along with his brother charlie sheen that's a fun movie <laughs> i'm not gonna say it's a great movie but it's a fun movie it's a good summer like popcorn saturday afternoon flick yeah 
Next, we've got Harry Dean Stanton as Bud, and I love this guy. Oh, man. He yeah. was an incredibly successful character actor, including all of the Westerns. IMDb lists 205 acting credits from 1954 until the year after he died in 2017. Appearances in Gunsmoke, Bonanza, Rawhide, along with Clint Eastwood, Cool Hand Luke. Here's another tie back to one of our favorite crazy actresses, Louise Lasser. He was in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. <laughs> also appeared in Pretty in Pink, Red Dawn, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, The Green Mile, Big Love, and Alien. Yeah. If there's a movie you love, this guy was in it. He, uh, he, was, he had like a brief appearance to Avengers. He was a security guard that yes. found the hall. Yes, he was. He was like, uh, son, are you an alcoholic? And the Hulk's like, no. He's like, well, you got a problem. <laughs> I think you have an affliction. <laughs> Cy Richardson is light. You may remember him from episode 24 of our podcast because he was Petey Wheatstraw's father. He was? He sure was. <laughs> and he's been in so many Alex Cox films including Sid and Nancy and Straight to Hell Returns. He was a prolific TV character actor, appearing in Falcon Crest, Wings, The New Adam 12, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Martin, Charmed, Monk, Pushing Daisies, Rizzoli and Isles, and NCIS. Wasn't he in, uh, oh man, in some horror movie. He played a corner or something. I can't remember it now. I'm not sure. I also have Tracy Walter as Miller. Man, there's just wonderful people in this movie from start to finish. I love Tracy Walter. He played Bob in Batman. Bob, remember, I'm my number one. Yeah, he was also uh, also made appearances. This guy was another incredibly active character actor. Oh, yeah. Appearances in Starsky and Hutch, Charlie's Angels, WKRP in Cincinnati, Cagney and Lacey. Hill Street Blues, Airwolf, Star Trek The Next Generation, Nash Bridges, more recently Reno 911, and Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I liked him in Conan. Yes, he was in Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, he was the thief guy. He He was that thief, and I loved that thief. That was the goofiest character ever, and I loved it. He's just, yeah, every movie I've seen this guy in, he's great in. He was also in City Slickers. Oh, yeah, he was Cookie. Yes, he was. Drunk as hell on that wagon. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Olivia Barish is Layla. This is another Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman alum. She also appeared in lots of 70s shows and and some early 80s. She was in The Incredible Hulk, Charlie's Angels, Alice, Little House on the Prairie, Night Court, Fame, 21 Jump Street, and she also had an appearance in Repo Chick. Yeah, I remember they had a couple people that got in yeah. to that movie original. So the movie opens up with credits against a monochrome uh, green screen roadmap of Route 66, along with an instru- instrumental version of the Iggy Pop tune Repo Man. Then we see a car weaving back and forth on a desert highway. He goes past a motorcycle cop who gives chase. Uh, The motorcycle cop pulls up alongside the car and motions him to pull over. 
the driver's singing oh my darling clementine the whole time uh driving the car is j frank parnell and we'll learn more about him much later in the movie just we know that's his name now that's about it he was in that uh movie we watched the alienator yes he was he was one of the uh rednecks guys yeah well the cop asked him for his license and registration and then for some reason asked him, well, what do you got in the trunk? <laughs> and he goes, ah, oh, you don't want to know about what's in the trunk. <laughs> now, why would he react that way? I don't know. But it's enough for the cop to want to look inside and see what's theirs. It gives the cop the keys to the trunk and the, the cop walks to the back of the car. He pops the trunk and... Um, a bright light shines out and the cop gets vaporized, leaving only his boots. The trunk lid closes all by itself and Frank drives off, leaving uh, the cop's smoking boots sitting on the side of the road and singing My Darling Clementine again. I love how they did that uh, disintegration, too. It was like the blinding flash and just see for a split second like a cartoon skeleton or something. Yeah, yeah. Bam, nothing. It's like when uh, when when in the Tom and Jerry cartoons, when Tom gets electrocuted and all you see is his skeleton shining through. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Cut to a grocery store where Otto and Kevin are stacking cans of food for a display. And I love the plain label groceries thing. Me too. Uh, Alex Cox used that in a music video he did for a punk rock band. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, it was an uh, idea of like a couple years before this. He put that in a video. And then he's like, well, we can't get any sponsors for this movie because it's insane. Plus, we got like a small budget and stuff. And so we'll just use these printed out things that we have, you know? Yeah. And then, so, sorry, go ahead. And like the early 2000s, food companies actually started putting labels out like that. I remember everything at Food Lion, like, so, you know, the, their yeah. brand was like that. Plain label brands actually started around this time. And and I remember this very clearly. And, and we'll put I'll put some kind of image of this up on the, the Facebook to to demonstrate. But yeah, there was uh, there was a whole line of food that was available um, in plain label brands like this. And it was just a white label with black block letters on it. And it would say stuff like carrots or, yeah. or corn or beer or yep. cigarettes beer. yeah and it all had a it all had a, a little disclaimer printed on the labels that this product may vary in color and consistency but is suitable for everyday use yeah <laughs> but it was less expensive than your name brand stuff in a lot of cases it was less expensive than the store brand stuff uh, it's just a plain bl white label with black block letters on it. And it was a uh, staple in our kitchen when I was growing up. So I'm very <laughs> like just, oh, beer. Okay. Yeah. Corn yep. flakes. So Otto and Kevin are stacking cans and Kevin's singing the Feeling 7-Up commercial jingle. Feeling 7-Up, I'm Feeling 7-Up. And it's getting on Otto's nerves. Otto tells him to shut up. And uh, Kevin says, well, I wasn't singing. So Otto takes the pricing gun and just 
puts a price sticker on his glasses. <laughs> Again, back before, you know, there were UPC. There used to not be UPC labels on anything. The little barcode labels. Yeah. Didn't exist. And there was a guy who would always put stickers on every can. And the cashiers had to actually read the sticker and push the numbers on the cash register. That's how groceries work back in the olden days, kids. Yeah, price checks usually meant someone had to go down the aisle and look at the stick. Like, oh, it's this. Right. A price check was because the, the sticker fell off something. Yeah. Well, Mr. Humphreys, the store manager, and his security guard want to talk to Otto. It seems that he really has been displaying a lack of attention to detail in the way he's stacking cans. Also, you were late today. Well, Otto doesn't think too much of it, and he just gives Mr. Humphreys a great big old fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Kevin thinks this is hilarious, so Otto grabs Kevin and just pushes him through the stack of cans that they've been working on. And he says, fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> that causes the security guard to pull a gun on Otto, so Otto gives him a double bird. And walks off throwing his bow tie, his clip-on bow tie. So Otto and Kevin are both fired from the grocery point. Because, well, Kevin thought Otto's double bird was funny. So Mr. Humphreys just fired him for good measure. <laughs> Next, we see a punk rock street party. Sweet. And Otto's best friend, Duke, just got out of jail and has arrived at the party. Uh, we cut to Otto and his girlfriend upstairs. They're on the bed. But here's the thing. Otto's a rule breaker, right? However, cannot have sex with his girlfriend until his pants are properly folded. <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of, he just like folds them up neatly and puts them on like a chair beside the bed. Yeah, yeah. Because he's a rule breaker, a nonconformist. <laughs> Well, his girlfriend sends him downstairs to get her another beer. And by the time he gets down to the refrigerator, gets a beer and goes back upstairs, his good buddy Duke is in bed naked with Otto's girlfriend. His well, pants are no Yeah, his pants are definitely not folded. Uh, well, Otto's day has gone from bad to worse. So he collects his pants, his neatly folded pants, and leaves. And we see him outside, sitting alone, drinking, and singing TV Party Tonight. That's one of my favorite songs ever. He's walking through this trashy neighborhood when he runs into Bud. Bud needs a favor. Needs him to drive his wife's car. He's got to take his wife to the hospital, but he doesn't want to leave her car in this bad neighborhood. So I'll give you 10 bucks to, to drive her car for her. She's uh, pregnant. Got to go to the hospital. Yes, yeah, she's pregnant and got to go to the hospital right now. Well, Bud manages to, or Otto manages to talk him up to $25 to drive his car. No problem. So he gets in the car and we see a shot through an upstairs window where a young girl shouts out in Spanish to her dad that there's a gringo down on the street messing with his car. <laughs> Otto is taking his time getting this car started and getting it in gear for some reason. And by the time he gets ready to pull off, well, here comes the, the old man and, and his daughter or wife or somebody from upstairs to stop him. 
the auto takes off in the car, dragging the old man and, and eventually just dumping him in the middle of the intersection. There's a sweet little stunt shot right there. <laughs> oh, they arrive at the lot of the Helping Hands Receiving Company, which is a repo company. <laughs> in the office, there's a man and his girlfriend, and they are upset because his car was repossessed. He's there to pay off the bill and, and get his car back. And the way they react when the transaction is complete suggests that this is not the first or second or third time that they've been in here to do this. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that guy's kind of pimp or something. Whatever he is, he's well known in this office because apparently he just doesn't pay his bill until his car gets repossessed and then he catches his bill up again. Now, on the way out, with his girl on his arm, he doesn't pass up an opportunity to hit on Marlene, but uh, she blows him off and his girlfriend gets mad at him, so they leave. Well, they invite Otto into the office and give him a beer while Marlene gets him on the payroll. Otto works out that these guys are actually repo men, so he just dumps his beer out on the floor. And for that insult, they offer him a job. Yeah, I love that. You're like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kids, like, you know, does that in my office, you know, I usually kick their ass. But you, you're all right. And they all have a laugh at it and shit. Yeah, it's a bunch of is a group. They're a bunch of hard asses, but it's a great group group of guys. You know, it's he instantly joins the gang at that point. Kind of exactly, exactly. He says they they offer him the job again. He says, "There's no way I'm going to be a repo man." Marlene hands him his commission for bringing this car in and says, "It's too late. You already are." Yeah, it's like a couple hundred bucks. He was probably just you just got paid for repossessing a car. That's you're a repo man. Yeah, that's what happened. Happened to me. (laughs) On his way out the door, Otto runs into Miller, who is cleaning out the car that that they just brought in. He hands him a little air freshener. He says, there's one in every car. I love that line. I I still say that, you know, some people get (laughs) some people just look at me like pretty much the way people look at that guy in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I think. And and don't take this the wrong way, but I think a lot of your friends think of you as their Miller. Oh yeah, no, I've I've said some weird shits at parties, man. <laughs> I got a niche market. We're back in the desert, and men in hazmat suits are investigating the scene of that vaporized highway patrol officer. Which there's also at that shot. There's at that police bike. There's a little tree hanging off the police bike. Yes, there is. And for some reason, the radio sounds like the dispatcher is still waiting for the cop to respond. Yeah. They're um, out there investigating investigating this dead cop, but dispatch still hasn't caught on for some reason. Yeah. Well, also, I think those guys in the hazmat suits and the van, that's the men in black, you know? Yeah. So, like, they're kind of separate from the police. Yeah, I think they're CIA, or we'll definitely find out later that they're CIA. But uh, And they're all blonde, yeah. including the one played by Jimmy Buffett. What? Oh, yeah, Jimmy Buffett is one of the, one of the blonde agents in this movie. Okay, yeah. You, see, yeah. Alex Cox does that a lot. He'll have, like, just musicians <laughs> and in the background doing nothing. The, apparently, the these... Folks are being supervised by a woman with a metal hand. 
and a cop asks her, well, well, what about the uh, what about the way he got vaporized? And she says, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. People just explode. Natural causes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little disinformation in there for the happens all the time. Yeah. Oh, man. Spontaneous combustion. Come on, man. I've been around for a lot of years in a lot of places, and I've never seen somebody just explode like that. Still holding out hope, though. I don't know, man. I had Del Taco before, and I thought it was going to explode. Next, we see Otto and Kevin sitting on a porch in the rain, reading want ads, trying to find a job. Otto tells Kevin about a dream he had where they were in Miami, and they were <laughs> 65 years old, working as bellhops at a flea bag motel. Man, I want to see that movie get made. Like, you know, that's that. <laughs> Sold in their bellhops in this crazy hotel, and Alex Cox breaks it. That'd yes, be great. I mean, they're about 65 now, or they're approaching their 60s. So, why yeah. not do that? Just do it. Yeah, exactly. Otto takes the bus home where he finds his parents watching a TV preacher named Reverend Larry, who is <laughs> encouraging his followers to sell their cars, mortgage their houses, and send all the money to him. Not so he can do God's work. Just send him the money. You don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right thing for you to do. Send People say I'm in this for the money. And they're right. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're like all hippied out, kind of. And they're like uh, passing a roach clip between each other. Oh, yeah. And they're just glued to the TV. And he's like eating. It looks like dog food, but it just says food on the side. Yeah, it's like one of those Dinty Moore beef stew cans, but it just says food. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Futurama, where they had bachelor chow in the future. (laughs) Well, Otto uh, reminds his dad, say, you know how you told me when I finished school, you give me $1,000 to travel Europe? I want to finish school, but can I have the money now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, which, of course, means I'm not going to finish school, but I want the money. Um, yeah. But that doesn't matter because, well, his dad already gave the money to Reverend Larry. <laughs> and they go back to watch it. The next day, Otto has gone back to helping hands to be a repo man. And he's riding around with Bud, who is explaining the business. And he tells Otto that he needs to dress like a detective so people won't mess with him. Oh, yeah. I love, like, from here on out, these, like, little life lessons. And it's just not... But it, every time he's in a car with one of these repo guys, like pretty much if you like just record it, it's like rules to live by in any situation. Yeah, it is. It is. It also tells him that, you know, um, repo men live a very intense life. And, you know, they might get in at three o'clock in the morning and head back out to work at four o'clock in the morning, which is why I don't know a single repo man that doesn't do speed. And the next thing they're doing is snorting these fat lines of coke off of a clipboard. Was it, yeah, I thought it was the owner's manual of a car, but yeah, it, yeah, it's like they're in the <laughs> liquor store parking lot. While Bud explains the repo code, which includes never hot wiring a car, never damaging the personal contents of a car, or allowing someone else to damage those contents. It's it's like I'm I'm a, I'm a you know, honor among thieves. Yeah, but it's it's deeper than that because it's the Repo Men. So it's it's like I don't know. It's like like uh, what is it in Star Trek? They got like the uh, the Prime Directive. Yeah, it's the Prime Directive of the Repo Men. 
pretty much. <laughs> and which, you know, Bud, just by his nature alone, he breaks the rules every time. He breaks every like, time. Yeah. And it's it's not that it's not that he's hypocritical. I think he really intends to follow the rules. It's just real inconvenient sometimes. Don, I think it's hypocritical because he doesn't say some shit in this movie. <laughs> it, it's mostly in Harry, Henry D. Stanton's, like, just not just the portrayal, but the way he delivers the lines, you know? Yeah. One minute he's all, like, business and stuff, and then the next minute he's, like, the drunk old uncle that, like, is just, like, a weirdo and just, I don't know, just always getting in trouble and shit. Yeah. Yeah, this is this movie is definitely a, an object lesson in dealing with alcoholic family members. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, next we get our first look at a liquor store. We're going to get more, but this is the first one. We're going to come back here several times. It's the same liquor store every time, yeah. the same convenience store every time, but it's like three different places. That place has been in a bunch of movies, too. They're like the same like little bodega slash liquor store. Yeah. That couldn't go down the list, but yeah, I've seen it in a bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, Bud is buying two six-packs of drink while continuing to explain the repo life to Otto. And the cashier looks really tense for some reason, not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> and as they leave, Otto's buddy Duke, his ex-girlfriend Debbie, and their friend Archie pop up from behind the counter where they had guns on the cashier the whole time because they're robbing the place. And they're like, they're wearing uh, pantyhose on their head, but it, you can obviously see them. Duke has pantyhose on his head. At this point, Debbie is wearing a ski mask and Archie has a bag over it. Yeah, that's right. Archie's the dumb one. Yeah. That of, guy, the, of the three dumb people, Archie's the dumbest. Like grew a mustache and like plays a cop in everything. Like he's like on, I think he was like on the West Wing one time and just he's in everything. I see him in TV all the time. Well, out on the highway, Frank Parnell is weaving through traffic again. This time, he's weaving around a van with the hazmat suit guys from the vaporized cop scene. Uh, they're broke down on the side of the road now. No explanation. They're just broke down on the side of the road. See Bud and Otto driving through the L.A. River because they can. I love that shot. Like, there's, yeah, it's just like, what, what do you want to do? I got some gas in the tank. Let's go up and down the L.A. River for a couple of minutes, you know. <laughs> we're in L.A., that's what you do. Yeah. This was around the time, I, I guess it, it might have been the 70s, when there were a bunch of movies that featured drag races in the L.A. or two. Oh, yeah, no, the late 70s and early 80s, all the way up until, like, the 90s when, uh, like, Terminator did it. Yeah. They, they still do it. Anything that's got, like, hot rod cars, they're in L.A. proper, like, yeah. They gotta go, go drive through the river. <laughs> Well, the Rodriguez brothers appear out of nowhere, and they just want to start shit, apparently. And we get a super aggressive car race slash car chase. It ends with Bud spinning out and the Rodriguez brothers driving off as Bud yells some of the most creative profanity in a movie we've ever covered. Yeah, <laughs> I love his use of uh, curse words. It's the first time I've ever heard anybody called a gypsy dildo. No, just gypsy dildo fuck. It's like a... <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he's like a real renaissance man when it comes to cursing, man. <laughs> this guy could give a master class in profanity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next, we see 
Debbie Duke and Archie again, robbing another convenience store. These are the three stooges of scene introduction. Yeah. Anytime there's a brand new location, we're going to see these three clowns there first. I love this one, though, because they run out the store and Archie totally hits his nuts on one of those posts they have out front. Yeah, they're backing out of the store. They're backing out of the store. And for some reason, Duke's got a shotgun and he just fires it up into the ceiling. And Debbie calls him by name. (laughs) Damn it, Debbie, I told you now that we know our name, we're going to have to kill everybody. They finally just decided to run out of the store. Oh, as they were backing out, notice that Duke steals one of the happy face cookies there on the counter, too. Just one. Yeah. Just one. You don't want to go overboard. But yeah, they run out of the store and there's one of those don't run through the door barrier posts out there. And Debbie runs to one side of it. Duke runs to the other side of it. And, well, Archie just runs his balls right into it. It's funny as hell. Natural, too. It's, it doesn't look... <laughs> Otto is riding along with Light now. Light has a very different perspective on the repo code. So... Whereas Bud is this honorable thief, Light is much more realistic. He is a sanctioned legal car thief. That's all there is to it. He's a bad man. (laughs) I love the monologue in the song that we don't get in the movie. Well, he's talking about uh, all of his ties, and you bet your ass every one of them's all silk. Yeah, I love that song. For those who don't know, there's a song on the soundtrack, and it's pretty much this guy's, all, pretty much all his words. Some of them were cut, but some of them made for the movie. And it, yeah, he's just talking. He's just, it's a badass song. It has a great, like, bass line and stuff. Yeah. They need to repossess Mrs. Magruder's car. And she happens to be stopped at a red light, and Otto has something for her in a bag. Light tells him to, to, to try to do this. He says, he looks in the bag and he says, you really do this? He says, yeah, on some of the women. So Otto gets out of the car and says, Mrs. Magruder, I got something for you. And he pulls this giant rat out of the bag and tosses it to her. It kind of falls flat. She looks at it and says, oh, how charming. And then sprays him in the face with mace. Yeah, I think that's happened to her before. Yeah, I think it has. Light sees this in a rearview mirror and just drives off and leaves him there in the in the intersection. <laughs> well, he can't get that car, you know. Yeah, he's got to get that <laughs> car. Next, we see Bud and Otto getting to repossess a shiny red Cadillac owned by Mr. Peason. He is a wealthy brokerage investor who is six payments behind on his car. And... Bud cannot understand why millionaires refuse to pay their bills. Inside the laundromat, Mr. Peason is explaining to you two young people exactly how he wants them to wash his underwear. <laughs> and, and he's doing it in the most condescending, insulting manner possible. Uh, Otto walks up and just jumps in the car and drives away unnoticed by Mr. Peason. Until he makes the tires squeal, and Peason, of course, notices it. As soon as he runs out of the laundromat to chase after the car, the couple of young people he was uh, 
expecting to do his laundry, they take his laundry and just dump it all out on the sidewalk. Yeah. Driving down the street in the repossessed Cadillac, Otto sees Layla running down the street and he offers her a ride, but he's not watching where he's going. So he runs into some trash cans that are out on the curb. Uh, old lady runs out with a rake. I'm not sure why she has a rake. There aren't any trees or grass anywhere around here, but she's, she says, you pick that up. What? Pick it up. You knocked it over. Pick it up. You pick it up. <laughs> He's just ignoring her. He's he's talking to Layla. Yeah, he's trying to pick up this chick while this old lady's cussing him out, which I think is just funny as hell. It works. Yeah, it did work. He says, he says so you want to ride or what? And the old lady says, no, I don't want to ride. And Layla says, sure, just gets in the car. <laughs> <laughs> she gives Otto a photograph of what she says are four dead aliens. He says it looks like sausage. It does look like sausage. I couldn't make out what it looked like. It was a very, very vague, unclear photo. Yeah, it's like uh, like those uh, old ass, like in search of or something, where they try to show you like evidence of Bigfoot or aliens. Mm-hmm. And they show you like an old glossy photo. Well, she's part of a secret network that smuggled alien corpses off an Air Force base in the trunk of a Chevy Malibu. Um, we've seen a Chevy Malibu in this movie. It was being driven by J. French Parnell. Remember, that's the car that vaporized the cop. He needs to find these aliens so they can have a press conference and tell the world all about them. Otto takes her office, takes her to her office at uh, the UFO offices. That's United Fruitcake Outlet. (laughs) Not sure if it's an outlet for selling bad Christmas snacks or if it's an outlet for crazy people to talk about aliens. Probably both. Probably both, yeah. Otto asks Layla out and she shoots him down and he gets real bitchy about that, explaining that most women pay to go out with him and that's all she needs to hear and she climbs in the back seat to have sex with him right there on the street in front of her office. Damn. He's a bad man. Yeah, he's a bad man. <laughs> Back at the office, XX Finance has sent out a bulletin offering a $20,000 reward to anybody who recovers a Chevy Malibu. Otto finds an issue of the Weekly World News on his desk with a picture of the dead aliens, the exact same picture that Layla showed him a little bit earlier. Pretty sure that's sausage. Pretty sure it's sausage. Yeah. <laughs> but they had Weekly World News. No picture of Bat Boy. Yeah, I know, right? He's least in the like the top of the corner or something. <laughs> I remember I remember at least once a year they would run a story where some oil company had accidentally drilled a hole into hell and released Satan. Yeah. Or it was like a cloud above some natural disaster that was Satan. My favorite one was uh there's one, it's like a farmer in the middle of a field, and he's holding this big grasshopper up by its leg. <laughs> and like uh, proclaiming, and you know, by the year 2000, everybody's going to be grasshopper. It's going to replace cow meat as the next superfood or something. Yeah. I remember seeing back in the 80s, seeing a story in the National Enquirer that suggested that by the early 2000s, Trash would have piled up enough 
that we would have figured out how to engineer giant cockroaches to not only eat the trash, but we would uh, carve a little cockpit in their back and wire up controls so that we could drive them around. Oh, man, that'd be sweet. Yeah. You can like have an your actual own cockpit or cockroach car. Yeah. A real Volkswagen bug. That'd be sweet. It looked like uh, the Batmobile, but with like. <laughs> Auto is learning how to pop a lock from light. And they open up a car with a Slim Jim. Of course, it has an alarm. And Otto has to break the lock to get this one started. This is after Harry went to all that detail about why you never hotwire a car. Yeah. But Otto is in the passenger seat and he's handing tools to Light out of this briefcase. And Light has a big gun in there, too. Yeah. Like a hand cannon. They get the car started and they drive away. And Light is explaining his version of the repo code, which is very different from Bud's version. He also mentions a book that he gave Otto earlier called Diuretics, The Science <laughs> of Matter Over Mind. Because why not make fun of Scientologists while we're at it? Yeah. They pretty much bring it on themselves. <laughs> Plus, uh, I, I know it's not like the first time, but it's like one of the earlier examples of like someone doing that in a, like a movie. Right. Back at the lot, Otto and Miller are burning all the stuff they found in the cars, including a copy of Diuretics. <laughs> Miller's explaining his theory about coincidences and how they're actually related to aliens whose spaceships are time machines. Because there was a time, apparently, when there weren't any people in the world. So where did the people come from? Obviously, they came from the future in their time machine. Yeah, aliens equals time travelers. Does. Equals time machine. Miller says he does his, he, he thinks a lot about these things and does his best thinking on the bus. That's why he doesn't drive. And Otto reminds him that he doesn't know how to drive. And he says, of course I don't. It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, the more you drive, the less intelligent. That's right. <laughs> That night, Bud is explaining that he thinks he saw a UFO once, and Frank Parnell is driving around in the Chevy Malibu. We see Bud at a payphone offering Napoleon Rodriguez $1,000 for information about a car he's trying to recover. It's not that Chevy Malibu, by the way. Back at the Rodriguez house, they're also discussing the $20,000 reward on the Chevy Malibu while they get high. And while their abuela cooks dinner for them, they think the car has drugs in it. And the Rodriguez brothers who are getting high do not approve of drugs. No way, man. It's a slippery slope. Here's what's interesting. At their house is Marlene. Yeah, I never got that. So they are actual car thieves. And the Helping Hands receiving agency is a car recovery place. So. It kind of makes sense that they would have contact with some car thieves so that when a car is really valuable, they can recover it and get some of the money and maybe split it. This isn't explained in the movie, but that's just how I thought about it. I thought it was like that was her sister or that was the Rodriguez sister. That's you know, possible, too. Yeah. For the guys at the place. And yeah, she was she's definitely feeding them info and stuff. Yeah. Well, she definitely wants this Chevy Malibu. Down on the street, 
Bud has given up trying to call the Rodriguez brothers and is outside their house yelling up at the window. <laughs> He's yelling like, Repo Man's got all night, every night. <laughs> Just shit out in the yard or out in the street. Yeah. Well, they take the notice about the Chevy Malibu and make a paper airplane out of it and, and toss it out, out the window at Bud. We see a van parked on the street and the metal hand lady who we will later find out is Agent Rogers. She is tapping phone lines to monitor Layla's calls. And Otto is calling to tell her that he heard something about the Chevy Malibu. Inside the UFO offices, Otto has come over to talk about the car. Layla thinks he's come over to talk about the car. He didn't come to talk about the car, though. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he gets her off in an area where there's nobody else, he starts getting undressed. <laughs> because why wouldn't you, right? Well, they're dating, right? But yeah, it's weird. They go off to like a room to be alone. But when they go in there, it's like there's a bunch of neon lights. and like It's kind of like a museum almost. Yeah, it's like a wax museum. There's like that alien baby with the big head, which I guess that's what's supposed to be the aliens are looking like or something. Layla shoots him down and doubles down on that once one of her co-workers comes in there and sees him getting undressed. Next, we see Light and Bud discussing recovering the Chevy Malibu. Bud wants to use the money to go independent, and he's pretty sure it'll work as long as he's got good credit, and his credit is spotless. Credit is a sacred trust. Bud is one of those guys that'll go off on any topic forever. Oh, uh, yeah. Next day, Bud is ranting to Otto about how credit is a sacred trust. You think they paid their bills in Russia? Uh, so we get a little random nationalism in here for yeah. just just for good measure, I guess. No, they don't pay nothing, man. They're they're you know it's a communist country. <laughs> Are you a communist boy? Yeah, I don't want any commies in my car. <laughs> Next, we see the Chevy Malibu. It's going through a car wash. They just randomly put this car places. Uh, I, I don't know why it's going through a car wash. It's a pretty crappy car to begin with. Now it's just a cleaner, crappy car. Yeah. Well, it's because, uh, what's his name, working there, so they can go back to see him. That's true. Kevin is working at the car wash now, and he wants to know if Parnell wants him to vacuum the car, but Parnell isn't doing so well right now, and he wanders off to puke. And as he does, Kevin says, you want me to check the trunk? Well, why? Yeah, I didn't get that. That kind of seems stupid. I mean, we know what happens when folks open the trunk, and, and that's probably why the, the line was in there, but it's just not a believable line. Yeah. Well, the Rodriguez brothers pull up, and, and they send Kevin to look for a book of matches I left here yesterday. <laughs> and, and Kevin's Mr. Customer Service. He's not going to ask any questions. He says, yes, sir, I'll go find it for you, babe. No problem. Yeah, anything for you. You're my favorite. <laughs> and as soon as he's gone, the other Rodriguez brother hops out and gets in the Malibu and they take off. Next, we see. Yeah, he found a book of matches finally, but they're gone station. by then. Used to be able to get matches everywhere for like a nickel. Hell, some places would give you like a pack of matches when you bought a pack of cigarettes. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Like bait shops and stuff. Try to get matches now. I dare you. Yeah, no. no. 
It just does not happen. Next, we see Otto explaining to Mrs. Parks he doesn't want to repossess his car, her car because she seems like a nice old lady, and he doesn't want to do that to her. So she's just got to come up with the money to pay the bill. Otherwise, he's got to take the car. And as he's explaining to this to her, her seven sons who are all in a band come home. Yeah. I love that old lady, by the way. She always... <laughs> old lady that's like un, 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 under the surface is like just a mean motherfucker yes like i love her her line delivery she knows exactly what she's doing she's just a great actress i've seen her in bunches of stuff man uh, i think she was on the cosby show like just anything you know yeah well when her sons come in what she says makes it really clear that uh this asshole thinks i'm a helpless old lady and is trying to run a line of bullshit on me, be aware of that. Yeah, it's got like, what was it, seven or eight sons? They're all like, you know, six foot or seven They're foot. They're huge. Black guys in a sky band. Yeah. Well, Otto, Otto decides it's time to get some gone. And outside, he does attempt to repossess Mrs. Park's car, but he doesn't pay a lot of attention to what's going on around him. And as he tries to drive off, he discovers, oh, this car's up on jacks. It's not going to go anywhere. I love that whole scene. Like, as soon as the sun sit down and start eyeballing him, he, he's having trouble kind of getting his clasp on his... Uh, <laughs> like, he's just, like, frantically trying to clasp this uh, suitcase together. He's like, right. like, he's like well, uh, I think I'll be going. Uh, nice talking to you. And he gets out there, and, of course, it's smoking, like, coming out of the thing, but, like, it ain't moving nowhere. And then, like, he looks in the mirror and then they come out. They're about to beat his ass. They drag him out of the car and beat him with a baseball bat. Back to the lot. And the cop that works there, Pletchner, is ranting about how important he is while Miller tends to Otto's bruises, uh, doing some kind of Native American dance while he wraps a rag around Otto's head is really bizarre. Yeah, he's still like they're out by the trash heap where he's constantly burning trash. Yeah. And yeah, he's like the whole guy's like, God, ah, you should there the cop guy's like, ah, see me out there. I'd have done I kicked all their ass. I was like a prison guard. Yeah, I'm a badass, you know. Yeah, and apparently he was in Vietnam also. Yeah, and the other guy's like just doing this weird Native American like type stuff out there with like bandages <laughs> and, and it's just another reason why I love Miller. Yeah, Miller's a shit. Well, Auto or Light shows up and, and tells Otto he needs him as a contract driver. He needs a second driver for this car he's going to repossess. Back at the Chevy Malibu, the Rodriguez brothers are concerned about the heat that's coming from the trunk of the Malibu. So they pull over on the side of the road. Napoleon heads into the diner that's there while his brother calls helping hands to tell Marlene that he found the car. But it's really hot, not stolen hot. There's a lot of heat coming out of the trunk. They're sweating like crazy. And I guess these aliens are radioactive. Well, they keep on going back and forth. Well, yeah, it's like they said there's aliens in the back of the car. And then also there's that doctor is like a nuclear physicist or something and uh, invented like some kind of portable neutron bomb. 
Yeah, yeah, that's going to come up later. Uh, one of Parnell's good friends was the inventor of the neutron bomb. So, yeah, there's probably some some radiation at play here. And these ra- these aliens are probably radioactive, which could account for the heat that everybody's experiencing when they're in this car. If this far into the movie you wanted to bother with making things believable. I, I guess that's a plausible thing to do. Yeah. Next, we cut to Archie, Duke, and Debbie. That means we're going to get a new location. They have robbed a pharmaceutical company and stole a sack full of pills and dumped a bunch of them out on the sidewalk as they're trying to get away through the fire escape. <laughs> Meanwhile, one of the Rodriguez brothers is explaining to Marlene about the the heat coming out of the trunk of the Malibu again. He's still going on about this as Debbie and Archie and Duke run past them with their bag full of stolen pills. Well, Debbie has an idea and they steal the Chevy Malibu. And and this was funny. Uh, as Napoleon comes out of the diner, his brother is sitting there staring dumbfounded. He can't believe somebody stole their stolen car. Yeah. And his brother uh, comes out of the diner and he looks and sees the car's gone and doesn't say a word, just hands his brother a soda. Funny fact, while they were they only had the one car. They didn't have like a bunch of stage cars when they right. this. They only had that one car. And during production, that car got stolen. Okay. Like in real life. And so like in a kind of like a way. <laughs> To finish filming the movie, they had to find this. They were trying to find a replacement car also. But right. right before the replacement car, they actually found like the actual stolen car and was able to finish shooting the movie. That's crazy. That is crazy. Auto and Light have arrived at a house to repossess a car. And it sounds like there's a, uh, the couple inside the house are having a very loud argument. Auto pops the lock and tries to hotwire the car. And as he's preparing to hotwire the car using a chewing gum wrapper, the owner shoots through the passenger window. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This freaks Otto out. He climbs out of the car and starts hollering for light. Light comes by. He pulls out that big old hand cannon of his and starts firing into the house. Which freaks Otto out even more. Get in the car, boy. Get in the car. Otto finally gets in the car and they drive off. They're in the hills overlooking Los Angeles, and Otto is freaking out, telling him he shouldn't. He's crazy for shooting into the house like that. You could have hurt somebody. So, and he takes out the gun and he fires a couple shots at Otto's feet, which freaks Otto out even more. And that's when he explains, you know, uh, these this gun only shoots blanks. <laughs> blanks works as better as bullets. Yes. Next, we see Layla answering a ringing payphone for some reason. She's just walking down the street and the payphone starts ringing. So she answers it, which honestly, I've done that back in the days when there were payphones. Yeah. Sometimes it's like a crank call or sometimes it's a wrong number. Most of the time it's a crank call. Yeah. Um, But it's Parnell. And it sounds like there's just gibberish on the other end of the line. And she says, are you using a scrambler? And then it cuts to Parnell. He's in the phone booth right across the street. She can see him. And he says, I can't hear you. I'm using a scrambler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, Bert. Yeah. Hey, Ernie. Yeah. Do you know that you uh, 
have a banana in your ear? What was that, Bert? I said you have a banana in your ear, Ernie. Uh, bananas are food they are to eat, not to put in your ear, Ernie. What'd you say, Bert? Will you just take that banana out of your ear? I'm sorry, you'll have to speak a little louder, Bert. I can't hear you. I have a banana in my ear. Because that's exactly what this gag did. Yeah. But she yells to, to Parnell to look out because there's a car coming around the corner and it's headed straight for the phone booth. There's a couple of the blonde CIA agents. All the CIA agents are blonde for some reason. And they're headed straight for the phone booth and they just demolish this thing. And honestly, you don't see Parnell get out of the phone booth. Yeah. But apparently he just got thrown clear. The phone booth got demolished. They ran over a fire hydrant. There's water shooting up in the air. But he just got tossed to the ground. He's fine. Yeah, he stands up where the phone booth is or was. And it looks like, I don't know, like uh, like some kind of like wacky Looney Tunes like type thing where like there was an explosion and he's just kind of left standing where something used to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Layla takes off, but the blonde agents catch her and they take her to an interrogation room where she wastes no time telling them all about the aliens. Just spills the beans. They didn't even have to ask any questions. She just told them all, everything about it. Next morning, back at the Helping Hands lot, the gang is singing Jingle Bells while Miller cuts his own hair. (laughs) And this scene is kind of out of order. Yeah. Because after Miller tries to convince everybody that John Wayne was gay, they start asking Otto about the bruises on his face and who did that to you because we're going to make sure they pay for it. The thing is, Otto got beat up a while ago and most of them have been working with him since then. And yeah. It's not like this is the first time they've seen it. It seems like that thing should have taken place when he was getting bandaged up, but they right. had like left footage and because they wanted to pad for time or something. They split it up a little bit. But yeah, that was like two days ago when he got beat up. Right, right. Well, he gives him a name and we don't hear who the name is. Then we see um, Ollie, the guy, Oli, the guy who owns Helping Hands, and Bud and Patchnell and Light all in a car headed somewhere. They get to the house of Mr. Humphreys, the grocery store manager. Remember him? Yeah. <laughs> and they beat him with baseball bats. Yeah, I love that. Cause like they're all wearing like trucker hat and like satin jackets, like they're in a gang from like the Warriors or something. <laughs> and they're wearing like dad's sunglasses. And yeah, there's like they just go up to this dude and like they knock, like, hey, are you this guy? And it's like, yeah, I'm just like, and then just start wailing the shit on him. Yeah. Like totally unprovoked, totally like nothing, no. No idea what the hell's going on or if this is like a government agency or something or what. Yep. Yeah. So Otto had a choice. He could tell him the truth. Mrs. Park's sons beat me up. Or he could use this to um, further his own petty agenda and get some revenge on the grocery store manager that fired him and caused him to become a repo man in the first place. And well, he chooses. He chooses the more self-serving option there. Total punk rock movement. (laughs) Next, Layla calls Helping Hands looking for Otto. Otto answers the phone, and we immediately cut to Duke 
Debbie and Archie entering a club. Archie trying to enter with a shotgun over his shoulder. That doesn't work. They take his shotgun and let him go on in anyway. And the circle jerks are on stage in this club. Yeah, uh, doing like uh, one of their, well, it's not the crappiest songs, but the song's kind of set up like a, what do you call it? Those kind of bands, lounge singer acts, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like, he's, he's set up like a lounge singer and stuff. And it's one of the songs that I actually like the best uh, from, from the Circle Jerks, but I can't remember what it is now. Uh, yeah, When the Shit Hits the Fan or something like that. That's right, When the Shit Hits the Fan. It's a very, uh, it's a very simple song, and, yeah. and, and I like it. It's pretty good. Good song. Well, we saw Debbie, Duke, and Archie enter. That means something's going to happen with our main characters here. And sure enough, Otto and Layla and Agent Rogers, the metal hand lady, they're all here at this club. And things get really, really weird when Duke and Archie and Debbie find Otto there. And Debbie starts making out with Agent Rogers' metal hand. And that's kind of creepy. Yeah. It's almost it's, like a... It's, it's funny. It's, yeah, it's like a weird druggy scene or something. They're like in the thing. It's got like weirdly playing. The lighting's all weird. Yeah. And it comes in and like they're trying to be, I don't know, like really extra. Like getting... Because they're trying to piss off Otto and make everybody feel uneasy. Exactly. The but they didn't know like like two of the people don't care. And one of them's like a government agent. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it comes off weird as shit. But yeah, that's what's happening. Outside the club, Parnell is trying to steal back his Chevy Malibu. Duke, Archie, and Debbie have left the club, and they confront him. Parnell tries to trick Duke into opening the trunk, and he's going to go for it. But when he, when he tries to open the trunk, he burns his hand. So he wraps a, like a, a bandana around his hand and tries it again. And as the light starts to shine out of the trunk, Debbie panics and shoves him out of the way. Well, Archie starts making fun of him at this point, and Duke can't have that, so he kicks Archie out of the out of the gang. Archie doesn't particularly care that he's been kicked out of the gang because he's going to open the trunk himself. He opens up the trunk of the car and gets vaporized. <laughs> this scares the crap out of Archie, uh, Duke, and Debbie, and. Is some of the worst dialogue in the movie at this point when she says, Come on, let let let's let's uh let let's go do some more crimes. Yeah, like order Chinese for or order yeah. Chinese. We'll go order not, sushi and not pay for it. That was funny as shit. That's like some <laughs> punk like punk rock kids, you know, would say. Especially in the eighties, you know, where like Yeah, that's some that's some uh, suburban kids wanting to be punks thing there. Yeah. That's like because like sushi was like kind of yuppie food. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Well, the Rodriguez brothers catch up with Parnell driving the Malibu and they try to pull him over in another car. Bud, Light, Patchnell and Oli are heading back after beating up uh, Mr. Humphreys. When they spot the Rodriguez brothers and the Malibu, well, they decide to take down the Rodriguez brothers and the big car chase ensues. One of them. There's going to be a couple big car chases here. Yeah, from like this point out, it's kind of like that movie. It's a mad, mad world where it's just like groups of people in different vehicles. 
there for no reason, really. Yeah. Bud cuts them off and they are going to fight when the Rodriguez brothers threatened to sue for whiplash because, well, Bud thought they were in a stolen car. And it turns out this wasn't a stolen car. This was actually their car. And now they're going to file a lawsuit for whiplash. Because why not? You deserve to be paid, Brew, right? Plus it's the 80s, so (laughs) frivolous lawsuits, you know, all over the place. Back at the office, the Rodriguez brothers have actually filed a lawsuit against Helping Hand. Uh, Bud and Ole are arguing about this, and Ole's had enough, and he fires Bud. Next, we see Bud and Otto driving around, and Bud is ranting. He wants to find a way to shake down bums. There's got to be a way to find out how much they owe so we can make them pay. <laughs> he's gone crazy at this point. He's probably on a bender, too. I mean, he just got fired and stuff. Yeah, he's, he's definitely, as our friend Joe Rogan would say, higher than giraffe balls. <laughs> Otto gets mad and just gets out of the car because, well, he really... He wasn't taking Bud's side, and Bud wasn't cool with that. So he just reached over and switched the car off in the middle of the street. And Bud or Otto's had enough, so he just gets out of the car. As he's walking down the street past all these bums, he sees a couple of the hazmat suit guys loading a dead bum into the van. Not for any particular reason, they're just doing it. And he sees... Frank Parnell in the Malibu. So he decides to chase him on foot, but of course he loses the car. And for some reason, now he's got to puke over the railing of an overpass. I don't get that. It doesn't fit anywhere. But when he does, he can see the Malibu driving under uh, the overpass. So he gives chase again. And this time, Parnell just stops and opens the door to let Otto in the car. So of course, Otto gets in the car. Inside, Parnell is raving about radiation and propaganda. Apparently, he was hearing lots of voices when he was being exposed to radiation. And then the defense project that he was working on got canceled. And that meant no more radiation for him. And he wasn't cool with that. So he gave himself a lobotomy. Otto says, isn't that for crazy people? He said, no, no, my friend did it. My friend who invented the neutron bomb. So from there, the conversation turns into killing people with suitcase bombs, and Otto tries to de-escalate the conversation. And this is when Parnell just passes out on the steering wheel, and the car comes to a stop against a curb. So Otto drags Parnell out of the car, sets him up on a park bench, and drives off in the Malibu. I was like... uh... So your buddy has got the uh, lobotomy. What kind of cars he driving? He's like, oh, Chevy. Man. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> this guy is the guy. His yeah. Friend is- His friend is him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, he takes the car back to the Helping Hands lot and locks it up. And when he does, he sees a note on the fence that says there's a big party at Miller's. Apparently, Miller lives in a bar because that's where the big party is. <laughs> And all the repo men have brought their repo wives there. And all the repo wives are flirting with Otto while their husbands watch. (laughs) They're probably used to this by now. Also, they're all wearing fur coats. You know that? Yes, they are. They're like, uh, I don't know, past their prime trophy wives. And like, yeah, ooh, fresh meat. Let's go get all over him. (laughs) 
Meanwhile, we see Bud cut the lock on the helping hand's gate and take the Malibu. After the party, Otto is walking past, uh, walking down the street, and he passes Bud, but Bud's in his own car now, and they drive off together. Next, we see Duke and Debbie outside a convenience store, their new location alert. Huh. Um, Duke is kind of shaken up after, after seeing Archie vaporized like that, after almost getting vaporized himself. And he thinks that he and Debbie should settle down and have a baby. Debbie doesn't huh. think a lot of that idea. So they head inside to rob this convenience store. Otto and Bud are already inside, along with the security guard from the grocery store. Everybody has congregated here. Everyone Weird. from the movie has come here. And Debbie shoots Bud, uh, grazing his ear. Doesn't really hit him, hurt him bad. Just, just kind of grazes his ear, and Bud goes down. Duke shoots the security guard, who then shoots Duke in the chest. The cashier takes that opportunity to shoot Duke in the back. So Debbie shoots the cashier. Otto tries to talk Debbie out of shooting him, and he succeeds. She just tosses him a bag of popcorn and leaves. Uh, Otto goes to check on Duke, who at the beginning of the movie was his best friend, right? Yeah. He goes to check on him, and we get a cartoon death. And it's a very Bugs Bunny. The room's going dark. It's very cold. And we get this death rattle that seems to last forever. I blame society. Uh. <laughs> That's a bunch of bullshit. You know, you're just like a white punk kid from the suburbs like me. You know, exactly. Yeah. Not getting an Oscar this death. Snap out. <laughs> of it. Next, we see the CIA van at the bench where Parnell is presumed dead. And a guy in a hazmat suit with a flamethrower sets him on fire. Nice. <laughs> I love it when they have flamethrowers for no reason other than they're awesome. This scene reminded me of that bit in Laser Blast where he's in the in on the city street just shooting at things and blowing up a pinball machine. Yeah. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's just like, well, we got this. We got this filming permit. Let's just go blow some stuff up at this corner. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Then we see Otto arrive at Helping Hands to find blonde agents going through the office. Patchnell tries to stop him. Don't go in there. You want to be a hero? Apparently, being a hero is not what Patchnell is in for. Despite his uh, Vietnam service and his time as a guard at Gattaca. Yeah, Gattaca and uh, something else. Something <laughs> But uh, I just think it's funny. Like he's like always cussing the kid out and like trying to be a hard ass. But then like there's a couple of scenes where he's like just sewing. Yeah, he spends a lot of time knitting. Yeah, and so like when it's time for him to be a badass, he chicken shits out. But whenever it's like just you know the kid fucking up, he wants to like just give him like you know right throw the book at him. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. Well, Otto goes in. He barges in and rescues Marlene from the blonde agents. Once he does that, Patchnell tries to stop him from leaving. So he just throws the hot coffee in his face and heads out the front of the office while Marlene heads out the back. When Otto heads out the front, there are blonde agents everywhere and they've got him surrounded. They take Otto. Next, we see Otto strapped to a bed. Agent Rogers, the metal hand lady, 
introduces herself. This is actually the first time we hear her name. Yeah. In my notes to this point, I just had her written down as metal hand lady. Yeah. Like in a movie like this, and you got a metal hand, that's that's her name, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's like a pirate. It's like, oh, he's got a beard, and it's black. He's black beard. Yes. She's metal hand lady forever. Peg leg, you know, whatever. Well, she explains that she's got some questions, and time is short, and there's a possibility that Otto could lie to her. So, obviously, she has to torture him. Nothing personal. It's procedure. (laughs) It's in the rules. I got to follow the rules. Minimum of 12 hours torture. (laughs) And this was a long time before Guantanamo Bay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to lose three listeners for that one. Uh, We'll get over it or we'll put them in the iron long. Yeah, it's okay. We'll still have six listeners. I said iron long. Iron Maiden. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't have the budget for an Iron Maiden, so it's going to have to be the Iron Lung. All right. (laughs) So they ask Otto where the Malibu is, and of course he doesn't know because it's not where he left it. So Layla has to electrocute him. And as she's doing this, uh, Marlene and the Rodriguez brothers burst in and rescue him. Agent Rogers isn't concerned about him, about this. This doesn't bother her at all because she says this was part of her plan. What the hell kind of plan has she got? I, I know. I'm glad that someone, it gets a little wacky. Yeah. It's like, it's like drinking a bunch of uh, cough syrup and then staying up and watching late night movies. That's exactly what this is. Yeah. They take Otto to the hospital. Marlene and Otto follow a doctor and a nurse into the elevator by while one of the Rodriguez brothers make sure nobody follows them. Of course, the next person to try to get on the elevator is a woman with one leg and a Rodriguez brother tells her, sorry, it's out of order. You're going to have to take the stairs. Yeah. Oh, man. I love it. They <laughs> walked in the hospital too and like they're walking past uh, like where the reception is. Right. And that is in there that is like, hey, you knocked over my trash. You're yeah. that that knocked over my trash. Everybody who's been in this movie is going to come, is going to have a callback. It's what it makes me think is like a mad, mad world where it's like everybody that was in the beginning that had little bits, they, they're, this is where they're like, they end up at, you know? Right. When the elevator doors open, Otto and Marlene have knocked out the doctor and the nurse and changed into their clothes. They're searching for somebody. We don't know who. They walk past a cot in the hallway and Otto flips back the sheet. And there's Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> he says, eh, Otto. So Otto just flips the sheet back over his face and they keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> they find a door eventually that has a pine tree air freshener on the knob. And they know, of course, this is where they want to go. This is Bud's room. Downstairs in the lobby, a blonde agent posing as very badly as a blind man enters the hospital. But Napoleon Rodriguez is down there keeping an eye out. So he uh, he heads upstairs fast to let let them know what's going on. He gets up there and tells Otto and Marlene that they got to go before the agent finds them. So they're going out through the stairs. Yeah, this is wild. We hear a loudspeaker in the stairwell announcing very loudly, quiet in the stairwell, please. 
So, of course, we have to have a shootout in the stairwell. Yeah, one of the Rodriguez brothers just pops out out of nowhere with a, like a submachine gun. Right. The the blonde agents, two of the blonde agents are there now, and they're chasing these guys down the stairs. So Napoleon Rodriguez has a, has a machine gun, and he opens fire on them. He's holding the agents off so that Otto and Marlene can get away. Meanwhile, back in his room, Bud is watching Reverend Larry on TV. He's telling people to let him know if they see a little old lady's stolen Chevy Malibu, because I guess he wants to claim the $20,000 reward for himself. Oh, yeah. Well, Bud hears this, and he decides he's got to get the hell out of this hospital. Meanwhile, Marlene, Otto, and the Rodriguez brothers make their getaway as agents chase them through the parking garage. And uh, as they go around a corner, we see the Chevy Malibu enter the garage, and it's glowing green now from the alien radiation. Oh, yeah. It's going to glow for the rest of the movie, and it's kind of awesome. Yeah. I love how they did that effect, too. It's like so low, but you think it'd be like some kind of like color correction thing or something, or they painted the cells. They just painted the car. Yeah. They're like <laughs> highly carpet like the whole thing interior the exterior everything it looks like they did something in the film like they you know maybe like right that's painted. what i thought it was like superimposed uh, some kind of visual effect no they just painted the car and then put like a uh, like a black light on it <laughs> that's awesome it is awesome it was like half the budget went to like just that <laughs> well agent rogers and the blonde agents managed to stop the rodriguez brothers car before they all and they all head off to find Bud. Uh, but when they get back to Bud's room, of course, Bud isn't there. Bud left. Marlene and Otto decide to make their escape. So they reach over and they set off tear gas grenades that are strapped to one of the agent's vests. And they manage to get away in the, car, in the garage. Otto takes Bud's car while Marlene leaves with the Rodriguez brothers. And I guess he's driving back to the Helping Hands lot. I don't really know where he's going. But on the radio, he hears about a mysterious storm of ice cubes isolated over a small area in downtown. And he knows this has to be the Malibu. So he heads there. He gets to the Helping Hands lot. And sure enough, there's the Malibu. And it is raining ice cubes on it raining it looks like someone's just like throwing ice cubes like just out of the camera it's like pouring buckets yeah that's true the ice cubes are only falling directly in front of the camera yeah it's funny they got like ice off the street and then they just keep on like just out of frame just buckets of ice they even look like <laughs> the last of it looks like they just ran out and they're like oh here's just the fistful right there at the end yeah because <laughs> it does just kind of stop yeah <laughs> Bud is in the car as Otto approaches. And, of course, the car is still glowing green. And as they talk about splitting the money for the car, you know, 60-40, of course. And, and Bud says, well, who gets the 16? And Otto says, well, I mean, I did find the car. So, of course, you'll get the 60. Yeah, at that time, Bud's, like, completely out of it. He's got, like, a head injury and, like, a loaded pistol. Yes, and just kind of, he jacks the pistol up on him, like, right when he's talking about, well, I, I found the car first, but naturally, yeah, totally changes. Yeah, right. no, you don't get cut. It's all yeah. you, big boy. 
In the background, we see a light moving through the sky, and it turns out to be a police helicopter, and it's coming right for them. And, and of course, there's a sharpshooter hanging out the side door of the helicopter because, well, it's a movie. Yeah. You just got to have one. Buck gets out of the car and immediately gets shot by the police. He off like a couple of shots at the police helicopter when he's cussing them out, and then they open fire on him and just like decimate him. Just, just decimate him, yeah. And as this happens, the CIA van and repo men all arrive at the same time. We see men in hazmat suits approaching the car, but they say there's a force field around it now. And as they approach, it zaps them and they burst into flames. Awesome. Around this time, Reverend Larry shows up with a couple of his lady friends, and he's holding his Bible out in front of him as he approaches the car. The car zaps his Bible, and that bursts into flames. Yeah. (laughs) That's when Reverend Larry says, "Uh, screw this, I'm out. Finally, Miller approaches the car, and I guess the car's okay with Miller, because Miller just walks up to the car, opens the door, and climbs in. And he, Otto says, what are you doing? It's going to kill you. And Otto just kind of crooks his finger in a come on, join me thing. So Otto goes and joins Miller. He gets in the car. Miller starts the car. They float up into the sky and zip away. And we get a pretty dizzying aerial shot of the car flying around Los Angeles. Great music in the background, too. It's like kind of it's trippy. Yeah. They head up into the stars and the credits roll in reverse while Repo Man by Iggy Pop plays. Awesome. That was one of the things that, I, that struck me about this is credits always roll from bottom to top. top yeah. Well, but in this movie, they roll from top to bottom. I think, yeah, this, this movie started that trend. And then in the late 90s, early 2000s, they try to bring it back. And there's always some weird film that would do it. But yeah, I, this is like one of the first ones I remember where it's reverse like that. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, we've seen them run from bottom to top for so long that when I see them run from top to bottom like this did, it's really kind of disorienting. Like this movie. <laughs> like this movie. This movie's very disorienting. And it was fun to watch. I'm glad I saw this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's highly recommended on my list. I mean, it's a cult classic for a reason. Oh yeah, this is this is just a good movie to watch. There's a lot of experimental stuff going on here. I mean, the production value isn't extremely high. No, the script writing isn't particularly good. That's okay. Most of the dialogue was made up on the spot. Yeah, and it shows. But the acting was actually pretty good. Yeah, it's it's kind of like. It's like Chinatown, you know, it's not really about what the story is about. It's like the way it makes you feel when you watch the movie or something like it's yeah. more of like a fine kind of type thing. Yeah. Chinatown was a bizarre movie. Yeah. All right, man. I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. 
We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Thank you.